all right, it has been a week since we've seen this movie. And in that week, my mic has stopped working. And it has not been fixed for anything. So I have made a decision. We are not doing a cold open for this episode. Isn't this what you would call a cold open? God damn it! Hi, I'm John. And I'm Bethany. And this is... Home Potting. Home Viewing. It's a podcast oh, where we watch all the movies we own in alphabetical order. From A to Z. And Z is relevant because we did watch an English movie this week. Maybe like the most English movie that we no. own? No. Oh, that we own. That we own. Oh, I was like, no. Certainly. Not the most English movie in Not existence. Not the Mighty Python one? Oh, Monty Python? Monty Python. <laughs> Mighty, Mighty Python. <laughs> it's the Mighty Python here to save the they day. They like that. I think, I think this is the most English movie that we own. Monty Python is English in a different way. This is this is the most like stiff upper lip like Englishman kind of movie that we own. It's The King's Speech. Woo. Notable on Tumblr for being the movie that supposedly unjustly beat The Social Network. Every have... every year when the Oscars comes around. Those are both uh, okay movies, so I don't really care if one ev- beats the other. Every year when the Oscars comes around, people on Tumblr complain that The Social Network didn't win Best Picture <laughs> as compared to The King's Speech. So sad. Because they really love their Eduardo and Mark ship so much. Because they love each other. Wait, I thought the people on Tumblr weren't old enough to know about The Social Network. No, people on Tumblr were coming of age right when The Social Network came oh, out. No. Let's be honest. Or at least that's when I was on Tumblr. That's when I started. And it was a big deal. Listen, we all followed and reblogged drips, bleh, gifs from lawyerupasshole.tumblr.com. All of us did that. And we all felt a certain amount of injustice when the King's Speech won. Do you even remember that? Were you watching? I, I, had, I remember that I had seen the social network in theaters, but I hadn't seen the King's Speech. And this I was thought, 2010, right? Yeah, this this would have been the 2010 is when they came out. 2011 was when the Oscar race was. So, and I remember being so psyched for the Social Network. Like I remember seeing the first trailer <laughs> with like the the with the uh, cover of Creep playing and seeing like Mark Zuckerberg, Justin Timberlake, like being like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So this this looks like a fun movie. Because I was mostly distracted by the fun and snappy dialogue in the trailer, which I didn't know at the time, was written by Aaron Sorkin. So anyway, this is us talking all about the movie that we're not, we didn't watch. <laughs> we didn't watch. Because, but I, it's we have just, watched it. It is we will watch it. hard for me to disentangle the King's Speech from the social network in my mind. Weird. Just because, well, because you know that my parents, they used to get me a DVD every Easter, right? Oh. And wow. I wanted specifically to get the social network. Did, and they gave you the King's Speech? They gave speech? me the King's Speech oh, in a parallel of the Oscars. What Oscar. a win. But I think, Aren't you glad now? Well, I think it was because they were like, this one, best picture. We should give him that one. 
<laughs> which which only made the blow sting a little bit worse. I didn't think they paid attention to that. Well, no, my grandmother used to like buy every single uh, best, best picture. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And then Slumdog came out, and she stopped because she didn't like it. Oh no, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Uh, it's, we, it's we're partially not gonna. for the reasons that you're thinking. Oh no. And definitely partially for the uh, latrine scene. I think. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but it's so sad but funny. i think she walked out of the theater during the latrine scene <gasps> if she said something correctly listen if if you're a woman in her late 70s early 80s and like you see you walk into a theater you're like i want to have just a nice little experience and you see a little kid diving through a puddle of shit wouldn't you walk out no 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 listen if you're that old you know what you <laughs> like by then at least So, The King's Speech is a pre-war movie in that it's... Well, it's an in-between-the-wars movie. (laughs) It's an in-between-the-wars movie, but it's a... Pre-second one. It's especially about, like, it's it's about King George VI? Yeah, mm, I think his brother became King George VI. His brother was David. What? <laughs> I think he was dead. I I don't know enough about English monarchs. Where I know about he? this movie though. Well, they didn't want him to have his real name because it wasn't English enough or something. Basically, right? what had happened was Harry Hart is a stammering son. It, this is funny because we just did Kingsman. Is it funny? <laughs> yes, is the stammering son of the King of England, Albus Dumbledore. His older brother is Guy Pierce, who I can't think of a role to just tie him to right now. So I'm just going to refer to him as Guy Pierce. He's married to Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> no, you've got and it Captain wrong. And Captain Barbosa is his speech you've therapist. You've got it wrong. <laughs> this, I mean, You're messing it all up. This, this was also a thing on Tumblr was like, ah, yes, we are going to see all of these people as the characters they have played in other movies. Yeah. Whenever we're watching a British film. <laughs> Harry Potter really has ruined my life in some aspects. It has, which is why... Which is why it was interesting watching um, Helena Bonham Carter in this role, having known her specifically for Bellatrix. But also her, like, Tim Burton life. Uh, big fish. So it's really weird to see her as, like, a supposed to be a normal British person. The the prim and proper queen. Who, she did it well, The one well, who though. we would know as queen, the queen mother at the time when we were growing up. What? Queen mum. So she was the queen mother because she was Elizabeth's mother. But at the time, she was just the queen, obviously. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> this this is really off the rails. We're not recording in our normal space because our microphone isn't functioning. We're borrowing a friend's mic at his house. By the way, listen to them's the facts. Um, Never heard of it. And... Uh, <laughs> The energy is buck wild in here because we were what? going to record on. Is it? it is because we're a week late. Usually, we've been doing pretty good about this, so about recording with within energy? the two days of the of watching the movie. It's not the first time we've done that. This isn't the first time. It's the first time in a while. I, I'm getting good energy from this space. It's. I really like it. It's a nice little space. I do like having the Spider-Man comics framed oh, on the wall. I like the stuff to the left of the Spider-Man. Oh, the, the, the contortionist touring poster. Yeah. Yeah. And the um cute little uh wait, which one? Hobbs. Yeah, yes. Hobbs. Hobbs is adorable. Hobbs a little tiger. So this movie was directed by a man notable for directing 
such box office bombs as Cats 2019. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't know. What? Oh, you didn't know. Squeeze me? Squeeze you. Tom Hooper directed Cats. This is the same man who who made this portrait of restraint and keep calm and carry on of this wonderful English stiff upper lip also orchestrated the dancing cockroaches and Jason Derulo screaming, Milk! Oh, God. We're at someone else's house. We're at someone else's house. You can't just scream milk. This is John uncut, uncensored, unfiltered. Oh, God. It's just... Well, it's just really weird because you, we knew Tom Hooper for this. I, that's when I, whenever I saw like when I saw that Tom Hooper was going to make Les Mis, I was like, "Oh, he made the King's Speech. He could do a really good job with this." And then I was like, "Yeah, he did an okay job." Russell Crowe could have used some singing lessons, but he did an okay job. What? He's fine. I mean, looking back on it, it could have been much better. And it also, but now having seen Cats, which I will say was excellent as an adaptation of Cats, but was not ideal as a film, but will come back around to say was excellent as a movie-going experience. Oh, yes, a great movie-going experience. (laughs) It's just, you don't know what you're going to get when you put Tom Hooper on something at this point. You just, like, you could get wonderful restraints, good Tom, good, like, Colin Firth tantrums, or you could get. Ah, uh, this is that's what that's what it is. Colin Firth should have been in Cats. <laughs> Who would you have had Colin Firth play in Cats? Because I think Monkestrap, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. He's not noble enough anymore, though. I, I guess. would not replace Judy Dench no. as old Deuteronomy mm. for like anything. Or McCavity. <laughs> yeah, Idris Elba is Mac- McCavity. <laughs> Man, <laughs> this is one of those episodes, y'all beating around the bush okay so we've got you were introducing i think the thing is and tom hooper i didn't expect to come in i i expected to be like oh yes a true oscar bait film which it is it is it's oh yeah it's a period piece about two men who were friends and how they worked together to overcome a struggle yes men british world war ii world war ii yeah wins an oscar immediately yes one colin one like 1917 (laughs) but i i think because it wasn't a vulgar war movie so like it wasn't like violence or it wasn't wasn't directly a war movie but it was about circumstances leading up to the war that perhaps some of the academy might have lived through because they're pretty notoriously old and white (laughs) (laughs) i think that set it up very well for its pretty much inevitable oscar win also helps that it was distributed by the Weinstein Company because that rapist knew how to run a campaign. Not a compliment. Hmm, sounds familiar. Not a compliment. Let's talk about what worked. What worked? A lot of it. Great. Colin Firth. Yeah. Colin Firth. Oh, yeah. He dove into that accent so well. Because you, you were talking about this, right? You were talking about this after we watched it. Uh-huh. That Colin Firth, we know his voice very well cuz like Yeah, no, he put on a completely different. Like this is his like uh character voice. Yeah, he dove into the character really well. Like you could absolutely see him struggling to like 
yeah, he, form the words. He heavily studied, I guess, videos of people or met people with stammers because you could see his like the way his like neck veins were like popping and stuff. He mm-hmm. was really trying to imitate like the um, just the mannerisms too and, and the cadence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell that he very clearly listened to archival recordings too. Like yeah, he had he had that like very specific kind of British uh, British lisp, you know. Like how some how some British people have that tr- that problem where they, their R's do become W's, like <laughs> especially like of an older like Britain, you know. It's it's something uh-huh. that you saw a couple of the characters in uh, Darkest Hour doing as well. Oh no, we're not. No, no, don't worry, we mm-hmm. won't. But it's that is the worst Oscar bait film I've ever seen. <laughs> I enjoyed all the non Churchill aspects of that movie. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> also they he had timothy spall as churchill in this one too peter Pan. i liked yeah i yeah. liked the churchill in this one mm-hmm. yeah i mean it helps that he's not someone who's thrown a telephone at a woman boy God. prestige actors and movies <laughs> a lot of a lot of like violent white men in there huh this is this is one of those episodes. Wait, we're still on what worked. Oh, yes. No. <laughs> Helena Bottom okay. Carter. Yeah, no. You could she she was so clearly in love with him, like pl- and played that very very well. I think she played royalty really well too. Oh, absolutely. The the polite but also I am at this level. Yes, exactly, like her like little her like righteous anger when Wallace greets her instead of david at the party it's god this sounds like such a masterpiece theater kind of slight but it is you know like a like a oh my goodness he did not greet me according to protocol (laughs) that's a julia child i don't know what i was doing there i think one of the best scenes is when he's uh telling his kids this the bedtime story about the penguin yes because it's him He's and, the penguin. Yeah. And first, he, well, I mean, that's obvious from the way he tells the story. He doesn't have, and like, when he works with the coach, they realize he doesn't have a stammer when he's talking about something he's comfortable with or, like, passionate about. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about the, uh, I, th- I think about the, the scene with uh, the Ina Kleinanach music a lot. Because he's, uh, the, so you have, obviously, Jeffrey Rush playing the speech therapist who is not actually like a licensed speech therapist or anything, but is <laughs> well recommended by the society because he has unconventional methods that work for, t- for tough cases. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. And he goes from being a speech therapist to just straight up being a therapist. Best, yeah. In my opinion. And then to like best friend. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what really worked for me about the movie. Like that, that it's, it's not, it was admitting like, Hey, disabilities are real and the approach is different for people for everyone but also deep set trauma can like really affect the way you work and the only way to to move forward from that and to move on from it is that you absolutely have to trust other people and put in the work to learn to trust other people and trust yourself and i think i think that this this movie did a really good job of demonstrating like how therapeutic interventions can work you know i think that this movie helped uh, did, 
did a lot with like looking at the specifically like masculine stigma against asking for help you know yeah i'm i was shocked that they um basically when they're kind of talking to each other um colin first goes on well his character goes on about how when he was a kid his parents basically like didn't hang out with him and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) then abusive nanny or whatever yeah (laughs) which mm, that was interesting but i'm surprised they even like entertain something like that in a british film (laughs) it's it 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 felt like a a pretty stark portrayal in some cases like but i i mean it's it's not that surprising to me because i feel like people have been increasingly critical of the monarchy lately but this one was like both critical of and reverent for the monarchy in different ways you know it recognized the power of the monarchy as a symbol to unite britain but it also kind of questioned the point of even having a monarch, you know? Yeah. Hmm. And that's, I think one of the things that didn't necessarily work for me is that it's like it, the movie is when you get just straight down to it, down to its deepest level, it's rich people problems, Yeah. (laughs) but like not even like normal rich people problems. Like, divine right head of state problems authoritarian problems you know it felt in some ways like it was romanticizing the institution of the monarchy like even like demonstrating that oh yes the monarchs are just like us they have family problems they want to marry people they're not allowed to etc etc but at the same time they're so insulated from the day-to-day realities of working people in this movie and that movie the movie like demonstrates that in some ways but it also seems to be arguing but we need them to keep functioning as a country yeah i think that that's another thing that didn't work for me was the whole like love affair thing because it didn't it didn't really seem like he even liked her that much (laughs) like his his brother when they he's like that's that's a historic thing i know it's a historic thing but they didn't really sell it that well no, they didn't. They're like, why does he like her? Like they, they just made him look like a philanderer who was, yeah, you know, who had been seduced. I don't think it was very respectful to Wallace Simpson, though. I mean, I don't know much about. Maybe it. from an American perspective, I'm just. I mean, I, I, I think in some ways Wallace Simpson is almost like the Monica Lewinsky What's of like, British politics. Who would give up? <laughs> Being king for someone that it seems like they portrayed, like kind of like was into her, but like um they maybe per- they portrayed her as vapid and annoying, and worst of all, American. Yeah, they they did Just, the whole exotic thing, but yeah, in an American way. It well, it's it's this thing where it's like, oh, she doesn't respect us or our ways. Why can she? Po- how can she possibly think about disturbing our peace? And it. It sucked. It sucked. It wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was an accurate representation of the British attitudes towards her at the time, but yikes, it sucked. Uh, I mean, let's see. What else? Uh, the kids they cast as Elizabeth and Margaret did a great job. I love them, yeah. They were adorable. I thought, I thought you were going to be like, they suck because we're... 
I mean, we're jumping all over the place. It's one of those episodes, you know? And, and uh, the little girl even looks like uh, Queen Elizabeth a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Or at least Claire Foy's version of Queen <laughs> Yeah. Um, the Corgis. The Corgis. <gasps> the Korg! Yes, all over the place in this movie. Wonderful. I think... Let's talk about the visuals a little bit. I felt... I really liked the color palette in this. Mm-hmm. It was like it wasn't pastel at all. It was very like, like British, like royal, like co- like 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 royal blue and like burgundy kind of colors. I felt absolutely like. like stuff like almost bordering on like understated and neutral, like not in like uh-huh. a, but in like a darker way, not it's in a pastel still colorful. way. Oh yeah, I think, I think about the wall in uh, Lionel Logue's office. Yeah, that's the, what I was thinking about. And, and there's that one shot where it's just Colin Firth in the bottom right corner and this all this empty space. Uh-huh. And it feels like emblematic of like the border that he's put up around him. Hmm. And I think I think they use empty space very well in this movie, especially to isolate Colin Firth. Like, I feel like he's surrounded by a lot of empty space to demonstrate how he feels and where he is. That. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean that's the most notable thing about the visuals to be honest i don't think there's i don't think i think the uh staging is pretty good i don't think there's any particularly interesting like movements shots that... i like how they have um his brother i guess david yeah how he flies in on the plane and then hops out and he's in the full like pilot's gear Oh, yeah. And, like, the outside scenes were, like, neat, The exterior too. scenes, yeah. yeah, they were shot well. I also... I liked the additional characterization we got of Logue outside of his interactions with Firth. Like, I liked I liked the stuff with his family mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, I f- feel like we could have used more of that, really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think this could have been a more interesting movie if we were given Logue's perspective from the beginning... And less of the king's perspective. But, again, this movie isn't the speech therapist's <laughs> king. It's the king's speech. <laughs> I I think, like, my biggest problems with this movie are issues of class, if I'm being completely honest. Which they poke fun at, like, with the king not carrying change. <laughs> yeah. Now he'd have a credit card, at least. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what more is there to say about this? Like, mm. the story is, it, it's. I think the pacing is very good. I think it knows when to slow down and sit in the mo- moment, but it also makes literal years within the narrative pass without feeling like it's plotting along. You know, I remember, I remember when it ended. We were like, wait, it was that long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like how like the the therapist's kids grow up, and you see like the grown up versions of them. And you're like, wow, this lasted for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it was all going up to this speech while he trained for so long. And like, I think I really like the cut between like the coronation and the beginning of the war because you see just the difference in confidence of Bertie as as a king versus when he was about to become the king. You know, like. He's, like, sitting confidently behind his desk. He's asking for exactly what he wants rather than just doing what people are telling him to. Yeah. Like, you can see the physical change even in his posture, you know? And I think 
this brings me to really my favorite scene in the movie, which is right before he gives his uh, big radio address about the declaration of war. We see him using all the therapeutic tools that he's been given without yeah. prompting. Uh-huh. Even though Logue is in the room, he's still like marked up his speech and, uh-huh. and you know, he's singing the words. He's cussing when he needs to, to help him like get it out. And he's, and like, we didn't even talk about the comedy that these different therapeutic <laughs> tools led to. Like when he just says, fuck shit, bastard and tits. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's a whole montage with them in the office or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> they're basically, like, it's just well, they're, like, singing doing through the all, windows. Yeah, they're singing, yeah. they're doing the markups and all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you see his house change, too. Yeah, Logue's house goes from that, the, the little dingy apartment little to, like, to pretty like nice. old accents everywhere. Yeah. What a glow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know. I think this movie was a very useful portrayal of therapy in all of its forms, I think, both for, like, working with practical problems, but also for dealing with trauma, especially. I I like it a lot. You? Yeah, it's good. Well, (laughs) we have agreed that this movie is good in record time. We've covered... Most of the, the movie. Whole movie. This is, it's. It was not a small movie. It wasn't quite an idea or anything. Yeah, but it's also one that's really easy to cover most of what you want to say because beneath this, it's 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 like hard to just talk about the same thing over and over with this because it it has a premise, it goes with that premise, it gets it out there, it gets it done. Mm-hmm. Also, it's been a while since we've watched this movie, so. <laughs> Stuff isn't as fresh in our minds. Well, but you know what? Fashion we've, corner. We've got a broken. We've got a broken microphone. Things yeah. were weird. This is gonna be a weird little run of episodes for the next little while, probably, until we can really get our solution back into place. But you know what? While you guys think about that, and while we think about that, why don't we take a little trip to the concession stand? Do you like the Dresden Files novels, tabletop role-playing games, improv? Adventure? Or butt jokes? If not, I don't know if we can help you. Hi there, this is Michael, the host and game master for Green Mountain Mysteries, a Dresden Files RPG actual play podcast about four ersatz heroes fighting wizards and monsters in Burlington, Vermont. Come for the grand urban fantasy adventure full of diverse characters. Stay for the many butt jokes. Seriously, one of the players is playing a proctologist. It's just chef's kiss. You can listen to new episodes of Green Mountain Mysteries every Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network or wherever fine podcasts are sold. And we're back. With... <laughs> Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner makes its return. Let's go. Um, well, it's going to be really quick, Fashion Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Who are As we talking about? everyone was dressed appropriately. For the period. For the period. <laughs> Nothing was very flashy. Well, you got the little pilot outfit, which I really liked. I, I liked Helena Bonham Carter's party outfit. Yeah. Well, even the party was so, like, subdued. Like, no mm-hmm. one was wearing, like, anything flashy. But I think that was just, like, pre-war life. Yeah. Fashion corner. 
Are we ready to go ahead and rate? Let's knock this shortest episode ever out. Let's do it. Okay. I think that I can confidently rate this uh, four out of five fucks. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That's a gr- that's a really good rating. I'm I'm going You're being gen- generous. Well, no, I'm going based on my feelings immediately after I saw it, which was, oh. this is a movie that brought me well fr- that surprised me with how much joy it was able to bring me. I thought, "Oh, I've already seen this so many times. I'm just going to be so bored the whole time." So, I think this movie brought me a lot of joy. It made me feel things. It made me feel good. I'm giving it 4 out of 5. How many fucks do you give this movie? I think uh, 3.27. 3.27 out of 5 fucks? Yeah. Explain your mentality. It was good, but it's not something I immediately want to watch again. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It was it was a good time. I could probably wait another five years before I watch it. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I get that. I get that. But I think just because I don't want to watch it again doesn't make it a really good movie. Yeah. Huh. So, we're part of the Pocket Podcast Network. Shows on the Pocket Podcast Network include... Ghoul Tank. Them's the Facts. Cult Classics. Sorted. Green Mountain Mysteries. Steampunks. And, yep, that's the one. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. We are very happy to be part of it. You can find it all on pocketpodcastnetwork.com. And you can find all of the shows there. Just definitely give them all a try. Check them all out. And uh, No Dice, of course, which we forgot to mention, but that I did work on a couple of episodes for. So definitely check those out. Our theme music is by... Organ Machines. It's from their first EP, Parallels. You can find that on Spotify, YouTube Music, wherever you get your music. So, until next time, I'm John. And I'm Bethany. Don't buy any more DVDs. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.